Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. It is your boy, Dr. Markless, back at you with another episode. We have not done this in, oh, quite some time, uh, but back in it. Uh, got a new summer routine, uh, so I think that's going to make this a little bit more frequent. Uh, today, before we get into the episode, a reminder, you can send me any jokes at theprimarycarepod.gmail.com inbox. Um, that's where I'm going to send you uh, studies. Uh, that's where you can send me, not not I send you, that's where you send me studies, questions, jokes, etc. Um, today's joke comes from an anonymous listener, Dr. List. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump, but do you know what generation is Forrest Gump a part of? What generation is Forrest Gump a part of? The answer, Gen A. Gen A. Gen A. All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back, pod girls, pod boys, pod people. It's your pod doc, Dr. Mark List, coming at you with another episode. Um, it feels so great to be back recording an episode. I have missed this so much. Uh, trying to find time for it has been... Uh, uh, quite interesting the last several months, as I've previously discussed. Um, so today, this is an episode that I've wanted to do now for at least a month. There's two articles we are going to be reviewing today from uh, the big boys at the New England Journal of Medicine. And uh, these are both about the RSV vaccine. That's right. Uh, I can, If you're in primary care, I can about guarantee that Pfizer and uh, some associated companies have been knocking on your door, sending you emails, sending you brochures about, let's this fall get all of your old people vaccinated for RSV. Let's all do it and do our part. Um, a Brexy is the name of the vaccine. Uh, brand new vaccination. It is a bivalent prefusion F vaccine. Um, and there are two studies today that I want to talk about that affect opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay. And we're going to talk about uh, my takeaways, um, which I have many, many takeaways about this brand new vaccine um, and kind of its rollout. And um, I, I think you'll be interested in hearing them. That's why you're on this podcast. Uh, so today, the first study is actually from the New England Journal of Medicine in April 20th of 2023, again, about a month old, bivalent prefusion F vaccine in pregnancy to prevent RSV illness in infants. Uh, Kapman et al. Um, is the name of the uh, article. Uh, I will link it in the show notes below in the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast episode. And this is a phase three double-blinded randomized control trial where they took pregnant ladies in their third trimester and gave them either vaccine or placebo injection and then watched what happened to their babies. Um, and I'll keep the story short on this because we're going to go through two studies. Uh, but basically, they looked at the kids and they determined if they had RSV, right? So clinical RSV defined by symptoms plus positive RSV swab or severe RSV, which um, was very nebulous in how they determined this based on the number of symptoms. Uh, it was in the uh, accessory table, uh, more of descriptions, which I did not have access to it. But so you'll have, we'll have to take their, the author's word for it. Oh, by the way, this was industry funded by Pfizer. That's going to 
God, that's going to come up later. Okay. Um, anyways, so uh, Pfizer uh, has uh, promoted this study. And so they looked at kids at 90 days after birth, 120 days after birth, 150 days after birth, and 180 days after birth. So we're going to highlight two of these categories, specifically how did the vaccine protect babies in their first three months of life? And then how did it protect them up to one, uh, six months of life, right? And so maternal vaccination was 81% effective at reducing severe RSV at three months. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, right? So in the placebo group, 33 of the 3,480 babies um, had RSV. And in the control, uh, sorry, in the uh, vaccine group, only six. Uh, so again, 33 to six with an N of roughly um, 7,000, 3,500 3, in either group, roughly 81% vaccine effectiveness uh, at 90 days efficacy. And then at 60 or at six months, right? So at 180 days, uh, less effective, obviously, the farther and farther you get away from maternal antibodies being protective in baby. 69%, uh, so that's 62 in the placebo group versus 19 in the vaccine group, uh, 69% effective uh, eff efficacy of the vaccine, uh, nice. Um, so in, in, in that was all severe disease, right? In the general who was positive for RSV, symptomatic RSV, um, those numbers are a lot bigger. So again, um, in the placebo group, this was three and six, um, three versus six at 90 days in the uh, that was in the severe group. In the anybody gets RSV of any kind, it was 56 in the placebo versus 24. Only an vaccine efficacy of 57%, so not as efficacious at preventing against any disease, but obviously it protected to get better against severe disease. Um, and at six months, that uh, efficacy went down as predicted. Farther and farther we get away from um, mom's antibodies. At only 51% vaccine efficacy, and those numbers were 117 in the placebo group and only 57 in the vaccine group. Okay, so um, again, I wanted to keep this uh, this uh, running through this study a little bit shorter, um, but this is uh, proof and concept phase three clinical trial that clearly shows that we can vaccinate moms and protect against babies. And a um, a 81 an 81% vaccine efficacy um, for severe RSV in the first three months of life is nothing to sneeze at. Um, yes, these are really, really low numbers, and um, and we're going to get into what that actually means, but um, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's actually a legitimate finding of 81% vaccine effectiveness um, in the first 90 days. I, again, uh, I, I can't I can't poo-poo that. Prevent, prevention against any RSV disease being basically a coin flip, not only at 90 days, but even, even more so at 180 days. Eh, you know, so these are really for probably the most at-risk families um, to, to really get a significant benefit. If you are wondering about the numbers needed to treat, um, so for babies, the vaccine uh, at 90 days uh, in order to prevent one or to prevent any case of RSV was 111 moms needed to be vaccinated to prevent one case of non-severe RSV at 90 days. Um, at six months, though, um, the prevention was 55 moms needed to be treated to prevent one child from getting um, non-severe RSV. Okay, what about severe RSV, the kind that actually matters, right? Um, that looks a little bit rougher, right? In the first 90 days, 
you need to vaccinate 142 moms to prevent one baby from getting severe RSV in the first 90 days of life. Not great, but again, this is a pretty right um, uh, significant right it, severe lower respiratory infections in babies with RSV is can be quite can be quite an issue can be quite devastating not only just mortality but also morbidity and long term um, issues uh, number needed to treat for. Uh, at six months old, right, that gets better because the, the number of patients that get the disease gets bigger, so the number they treat gets lower, right? So at six months, severe disease, you need to vaccinate about 75 women. The range is 60, uh, 74 to 76. Uh, 75 women need to be vaccinated. 75 women need to be vaccinated to prevent one case of severe lower respiratory infection with RSV at six months. So um, these numbers aren't terrible, Right, we do things with a lot worse NNTs all the time in healthcare. Um, so vaccinating moms seems pretty reasonable. Uh, again, uh, um, I think this will become more of a standard of practice here uh, in the next RSV season. That moms, especially higher risk moms, um, you know, and uh, moms that are, are are interested, that this is seemingly okay. Right, this seems to be okay. Right. Um, obviously, moms are a lot more hesitant to get vaccines than they used to be. It's it's a harder sell. Um, but a an NNT of 75 uh, to get uh, a prevent your child from getting a severe case of RSV, right? Um, and a mild case only needing a number needed treat of 55. Again, um, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, there was uh, not much for potential side effects compared to placebo. Um, pretty similar rates of adverse effects. Nothing crazy. Um, slightly higher, obviously, in the vaccine group than in the than the placebo group. But um, so. My thoughts on this trial are, yes, this is a, a positive trial. Uh, clinically meaningful, I do think so, right? We are preventing, um, we would be preventing disease and significant health burdens in the new, in the most vulnerable population um, with a disease that really is problematic in a lot of kids. Um, it absolutely causes significant uh, disease burden. Like I said, long-term complications can happen with RSV from like a reactive airway standpoint, from an asthma standpoint, um, from just a hospitalization and death standpoint. Uh, are the number needed to treat impressive? No, they're not. They're really not impressive. And if you are a family practitioner that does OB, right, uh, telling your pregnant mom that uh, that the best that can happen is non-severe, meaning like non-hospitalized RSV in your in your newborn in the first six months, there's a uh, 54 out of 55 chance that your child won't benefit from the vaccine. Y you know, that's a little bit of a hard sell. Um, and so, you know, being open and honest that this is preventive, but not overly impressive, right? Uh, I, you know, that is being honest, right? Um, in the first 90 days of life, in 81% effectiveness uh, in preventing disease, that's, that's one way to put it, right? That's using kind of relative risks. Um, talking about that vaccine efficacy, but from an absolute risk reduction, it's really, really rare that kids in the first three months of life are hospitalized with RSV, but when it does happen, it's really severe. So again, um, this is probably a positive study that is probably practice changing in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of women will probably opt into the RSV vaccine uh, just because it is a really deadly disease and a really problematic disease in newborns. But the other study that I wanted to talk about was from the exact same journal, exact same uh uh, it was from New England Journal of Medicine, exact same uh, April 20th. And this article is in adults, uh, entitled Efficacy and Safety of Bivalent RSV Prefusion -pre F Vaccine in Older Adults. And this is from Walsh EE et al. And um, this one, 
is what has been getting a lot more press. And again, I don't do OB, so maybe OB, UB, OB providers are getting the um, handouts to, you know, vaccinate your pregnant ladies. Uh, but here is a, uh, a study in strictly adults. And I have been getting emails, flyers. Um, I don't talk to drug reps, but drug reps have been coming around talking about this. Um, again, massive, you know, multi-billion dollar drug and rolling this out this year, upcoming for uh, RSV season. And let's just be frank. Again, this is this study is funded by Pfizer, which obviously we have to think about, right? And specifically, this is just in adults. For a given RSV season, how effective is this new Arexi vaccine? Uh, that's the name of the, the trade name, by the way. Um, how effective is it at preventing against illness and severe illness and any infection of RSV in adults, right? And why is this important? Uh, because six to 10,000 adults on a yearly uh, basis die of RSV-related complications. Again, usually this is more COPD exacerbation or other patients with multiple other comorbidities that are a lot older than age 60. But in this study, 60-plus-year-olds were given the vaccination. Um, in each in each group, in each arm of the placebo arm versus the control arm, were 17,000 patients, 17,215 in the vaccine arm and 17,069 in the placebo arm. Nice. Um, and so when we uh, looked at the data, uh, if you're following along, this is page eight of the study. And let me just tell you what. So in the newborn trial, they gave me these nice little tables with the um, the actual percentages of patients that had the disease. And I am, I got almost physically upset reading this trial based on how they presented the data. That was so misleading. Um, and all of the, all of the studies, uh, all the uh, news advertisements were, the drug is 85% effective at reducing lower respiratory tract infections, severe respiratory tract infections. This is very, very true, right? Um, and so I talked about, I'm going to run through the numbers a little bit here, and it's going to be hard to follow because numbers are always hard to hear in a podcast. So there were three groups they looked at, right? There were three groups. It wasn't based on uh, days of life, obviously, like it was in the last study. It was, did you get any RSV-associated upper respiratory illness, right? So a positive RSV with any symptom, cough, runny nose, uh, nasal congestion, uh, phlegm production, et cetera, right? That's that, any, any, any symptom with a positive RSV test, right? That was one group. Group two had a positive RSV, but then you had cough, sputum production. Hold on. I'm going to actually get the, the four. Uh, you either had to have, you had to have two of the four, sorry, two of the five cough, sputum production, wheezing, shortness of breath, and tachypnea plus a positive RSV. And they call that just a lower respiratory tract infection. And then a severe lower respiratory tract infection, which wasn't even hospitalization, wasn't sepsis, wasn't uh, intubation, wasn't anything like that. It was just three signs or symptoms. So an RSV plus cough, sputum production, wheezing, shortness of breath, or tachypnea, right? Um, and in fact, only 25% of the patients actually had tachypnea in the severe group. So just just keep just keep that in mind, right? So uh, what they consider to be severe is just three symptoms. And so by the way, anybody with COPD who got RSV and got an exacerbation is likely to have cough, sputum, and wheezing, right? I mean, so Pretty pretty much automatically, if you were a COPD exacerbation, didn't matter how sick you were. If you were coughing, had sputum production, and were wheezing, um, you then were considered to be severe. Uh, similarly, like 70% of patients had shortness of breath, which again, if you've got baseline COPD and get and get RSV, 
you're going to be short of breath, right? None of this was like clinically meaningful. None of these were like hospitalizations. None of these were deaths. None of these were like sepsis cases, ICU tr cases, anything like that. Okay. I, I, so I'm just throwing that out there in terms of like what they consider to be severe, as you can tell where I'm going with my feelings on this study. Okay. So let me rip into it a little bit more because the number needed to treat, right? So, the, okay. Let me talk about their vaccine eth efficacy numbers, which again, these are not, these are not made up. These are relative risk, basically relative improvements. Um, if you are in the placebo group versus the vaccine group, right? The vaccine is effective at preventing RSV infections. Surprise. It's a vaccine. That's what vaccines do, right? So um, in any case of RSV associated illness, it was 62% effective in adults, right? In the placebo group, there were 58 people that got sick and 22% of people that did not get sick or sorry, <laughs> 58 people got sick with RSV associated any illness. Again, this could be cough. This could be sore throat. This could be uh, nasal congestion and a positive RSV, 58 in the placebo group and 22 in the vaccine group, right? So that is a 62% effect, uh, efficacy, right? In the um, RSV associated lower respiratory tract illness with two signs or symptoms, which they considered to be mild, uh, was 60, 66%. Uh, efficacious, right? And in the severe group, right, which they labeled in their study as severe lower respiratory tract illness. And again, that only means that they need three symptoms, cough, sputum production, wheezing, shortness of breath, or tachypnea. It need three out of those five. It was a, it was associated with an 85% vaccine efficacy. And this was toted on every news broadcast clipping I saw this, that this new, it's on all of their flyers, 85% effective. In fact, one study was like 90%. Um, and like, why wouldn't you want a vaccine that's 90% effective? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, but I need you to understand that this, in this study, there was an N of 17 thousand patients. This is not a small trial. 17,000 in both arms, 34,000 overall. And in the severe lower respiratory tract illness, this, 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 the, the group that had an 86%, 85, 86% vaccine efficacy in the placebo group, the people who are just out there walking around, only 14 people had a severe lower respiratory tract illness during the entire RSV season in the placebo group. 14 out of 17,069. So yes, by comparison, the two in the vaccine group, two out of 17,215, is a remarkably good number. Yes, it's 86% effic efficacious. But is that clinically meaningful when you apply it to the whole population? Is that 86% real? In other words, what's the number needed to treat that we actually have to do to roll this out? Okay. Going back, not in the severe, not in the mild, but in the anybody gets RSV illness. And again, who knows if this RSV is even clinically meaningful other than like, oh, I had a little bit of runny nose and I had to come in and get tested. Oh yeah, I'm RSV positive, right? Oh, oh, I got a sore throat. Oh, I got a cough. You know, RSV in most adults is just a cold. It doesn't even take them out of work for most of my patients, right? They don't even come in for this. But people in the in the trial obviously were um, uh, advised to come in and get tested. The number needed to treat to prevent any RSV-associated illness in adults is 500. 500. And by the way, this is a yearly vaccine. This is not a one-time-and-you're-done. This is a yearly vaccine. And so, again, a 62% efficacy compared to placebo but a number needed to treat of 500 prevent even just a minor illness. A more significant illness, again, cough and sputum production or cough and wheezing or cough and shortness of breath, 
has a number needed to treat of 769, okay? And to prevent one case of severe lower respiratory tract illness, which again, that's not even hospitalization, that's not death, that's nothing, that's just having three of those five symptoms, which again, for every COPD person, you know, you're going to basically have that with any viral illness, let alone if it's RSV or not. Number needed to treat of 1,428. 1,428 in a yearly vaccine. That's the number needed to treat to prevent one person from getting cough, shortness of breath, and wheezing. Cough, sputum production, and wheezing. Are they hospitalized? Doesn't matter. We don't know. Probably not. If it's just those three things, right? There's no hypoxia listed. There's, I mean, this is, this study is bananas, right? That suddenly, because they developed a vaccine, which by the way, I think is going to be effective. I think this vaccine is going to be effective. Uh, and and, and I, I just talked about the fact that, yeah, the number of treats are not kind of what we want them to be, but the vaccine looks like it'll help prevent against newborns from getting RSV, which is probably a lot more meaningful than than this data in this study, right? You know, obviously I think the long-term goal is to try to vaccinate like, you know, two-month-olds, but again, getting earlier vaccinations than that, sometimes a little tricky because the uh, newborn's immune system isn't always great at producing antibodies from the vaccine. Um, and then you don't have enough time to create enough antibodies for it to be effective during that RSV season when, you know, the under six months old, which are the highest risk kids, right? Um, and, you know, maybe we need to do a study of kids that are at high, 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 high risk and see how they respond because this is probably a better target group, but that's a very small population. And if you are a drug company making a vaccine, you don't want to just narrow it to the kids that actually matter and the population that actually matters. No, no, no. You want to roll it out to as big of a population as possible. So that way you can get $185 per vaccine. So we're going to promote it to every single family practice group and every single family practice provider for a yearly vaccine that has an NNT of 1428 just to prevent somebody from getting cough, sputum production, and wheezing. No, I will probably not be recommending this unless they are at the highest and highest of highest of risks. And even then talking about it's a yearly vaccine, it's unproven to prevent hospitalizations or deaths, but certainly is an option for your super bad COPD patients, super bad heart failure patients, super people, super bad patients who are cancer patients or on immunosuppression or are, uh, uh, you know, on oxygen already. Yeah, maybe I'll talk about it with those patients as a shared decision making. But this has, hoof, hoofta, 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 hoofta. I'm more upset with just the promotion to every adult. So um, that's my take. That's my take. Um, no is my take. No, I will not be doing this for every adult. Um, so anyways. Hopefully this was a good conversation. I went way over time, but you know what? It's been like a month since I did one, so I thought I should um, give it my all on this and this topic I was passionate about. Hopefully you could tell. Um, this has been Dr. Mark Close with the Primary Care Podcast. Reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks, great. Have a, have a, great, have a great week. Bye.